welcome into another episode of Hockey Mountain High, your go-to Avalanche podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. I am your host, JJ Jerez. With me, of course, Arif Dean. Arif, it's basically Christmas Eve for us, right? This is our equivalent of Christmas Eve. How you doing? I'm doing well, but the Grinch stole Christmas because we got some news from today's Joe Sackick press conference. That is pretty much the equivalent of that evil green man. <laughs> That's well said. Uh, that being, of course, Nathan McKinnon going to miss opening night due to testing positive for COVID. And we already knew Jared Bednar, having already missed the last two games, won't be behind the bench on opening night either. So I guess give us the uh, latest and greatest in regards to that stuff. So Nathan McKinnon, the Avalanche, announced today that he was going to be absent from practice for a COVID protocol-related absence, and that's the way they worded it. Uh, When Jared Bednar tested positive, they said outright, Jared Bednar tested positive and will not be behind the bench during the preseason games. I don't know if the word or the verbiage was the difference between preseason and regular season, or I don't know if it was a difference between a coach and a player's association thing where you can't just say tested positive. I don't know. It was weird to me that the avalanche were straightforward with Jared. We're not so much with Nathan to start. Uh, We also got to talk to Joe Sackick today, and that was the first question he fielded was, what's going on with Nathan McKinnon? And he said outright, Nathan McKinnon tested positive for COVID-19. He will not play on Wednesday against the Chicago Blackhawks. But he did say that they're going to try to get him tested out of the protocol by Saturday for that home game against St. Louis. Doesn't mean he's for sure in Saturday. But the fact that it is a possibility means that the COVID protocols have changed since last year. Everybody's vaccinated on this team. All but four players for the opening night rosters around the NHL in total. Out of the 721 players, only four are entering the season unvaccinated at all. So the fact that McKinnon doesn't have to wait 14 days already says to me that the protocols have changed from last year. But not having Nate McKinnon set on Wednesday is going to suck. And obviously no Jared behind the bench. So I'm going to play the role of psychiatrist here for a second, Arif, and I want to know how does this news make you feel? Because like you said, obviously it sucks that he's not going to be in the lineup for opening night. You got two important Central Division games here right out of the gate. But I think even more importantly, I'm just personally bummed that obviously it happened so early, but it just we were trying to be careful going into training camp and all and everything and you know, kind of felt like everyone's walking on eggshells to prevent this very thing. So for it to happen anyway, you know, it's just a, a total bummer. And I personally feel uh, just just real, I guess, let down by it. I mean, obviously, I'm not pointing fingers at anyone. It just really sucks that to to feel like we're this close to getting out of the COVID waters. And then day one, we're right back in them. It, it just it stinks. This is going to sound really silly, but it doesn't really irk me. And, uh, it's, it's going to be, I'm going to, I'm going to dig deep for this one because COVID has kind of given me a newfound appreciation for a lot of things. And one of them is hockey and sports in general, uh, because never in my wildest dreams that I ever think something was going to happen that literally overnight was going to stop every sport in the world was going to cancel and re and reschedule the 2020 Olympics, the 2020 Euro cup and of all things, March Madness was just going to stop on a dime. Like everything changed when things happened in March that I just have a new appreciation for things like hockey. Uh, no McKinnon, no Jared. Give me no Miko. Give me no Gabe. I'm still happy we're watching hockey. Like to be to be completely hip, hippie-ish about this, the fact that we're going to have a full arena at Ball Arena on Wednesday and fans are going to be in the stands. It's going to be a sold-out crowd. 
Media's back. Everything's seemingly back to normal. We got food in the media room again. Hallelujah. Like just things are back to normal and it gives you a new appreciation for things where I'm just like, it sucks, but these are the last remaining steps that you got to take coming out of what we've went through. And the fact is, opening night last year, we were listening to fake audio sound sort of beaming into the arena like it was a virtual world. So it is unfortunate, but Nate's going to be okay. He's asymptomatic. Jared's going to be okay. He'll be back soon. Uh, that's all that matters. It's just a game, maybe two. It's just a little hiccup, but it doesn't really irk me. I'm still just as excited for hockey as I would have been with McKinnon in the lineup. Yeah, you know he's got that fire in, in his belly, so you kind of feel bad for Nathan McKinnon, a lot like Nazem Kadri last year in the playoffs, right? You know, he was just sitting there itching to play while he had to watch his team. You know, Nathan McKinnon's feeling the same, but on the other side of the spectrum, you're facing a little bit of adversity early. The Avalanche are tested. They're going to have to show themselves, and, and the rest of the guys are going to have to prove that, hey, we're still a good team without Nathan McKinnon. Yeah, he's a big key to uh, our success and what we're planning on doing this season, but, you know, test yourself without him and see how you're looking. I mean... I, I don't know. I kind of get the vibe that the Avalanche are going to have a tough time at the start of the season anyway. Not not that they're going to be bad, but they're just not going to be the uh, the dominant performers that we're expecting of them. So I, either way, you're going to have a, a little bit of a window of a learning curve, I guess, to prepare for this next season. And it's going to take a couple weeks for all teams to kind of get settled in. So why not test yourself? It's kind of like a, an extension of preseason, right? When you're getting to test different guys and experiment with different lines and see who plays well with whom. I think this is kind of an extension of that. It's, it kind of stinks that these points matter and, and things are, uh, are, are real now, but um, it is what it is and it's not, it's not a terrible situation. He's not injured. He's not out three to four weeks like Pavel Francouz. Uh, he's not skating in a red non-contact jersey. He's not even seeing or feeling any symptoms. He's asymptomatic. He's going to be fine. It's just a matter of he's going to miss a day or two because of this uh, COVID thing, and then he's going to come off the protocol and just be normal Nathan McKinnon, hopefully, like knock on wood. <laughs> he doesn't you know, run into any symptoms down the line. But I like how nonchalant you are there about COVID, this uh, COVID thing that I guess well, has I been mean, going around. Yeah, right. Well, he's <laughs> vaccinated. It's a breakthrough case. These things have been happening, but Joe was very straightforward in saying that he's asymptomatic, basically saying like he's okay. It's just a protocol thing. You better believe and you better know that, you know, like you said, the fire in his belly. Nathan McKinnon sitting at home like, are you friggin' kidding me? I feel fine. I can go outside and run, you know, a mile right now. I can take a bike and bike up the mountains, but I can't go play hockey because this damn thing came up with a positive test result. Like it's, it sucks, but it's not the end of the world because it's not like, oh, breaking news, the Avalanche are going to be without their first line center for the first six weeks of the season. Like it's not a huge deal on that sense. The points matter, but you have the uh, reinforcements and the team and the depth, even though you've lost a lot of guys to still win that game on Wednesday. The Avalanche are just great opening night in general. They weren't last year, but there was no fans there. There always have been a good opening night team. Uh, they're one of the best in the NHL, second behind Minnesota, in fact. So they're Joe really Colborn hat trick comes to Joe mind. Joe Colborn hat trick comes to mind. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So they're, they're really great at opening night. They have a lot of fun with it. And, and I think there's just going to be a lot riding on tomorrow and, and uh, look no further than number one center, number 91, Nazem Kadri, who's going to be coming back going, all right, I got this. Like, people have been talking a lot of crap. I'm back, and I'm ready to go. Yeah, absolutely. We'll get into the opening night lineup here in a couple minutes. But 
also a factor here. Like you mentioned, Jared Bednar still not on the bench. We've seen a couple games without him. It didn't seem to create too big of a problem. But I mean, for a regular season game, what does that do to a team? And I guess how how comfortable are you with the guys running the bench without Jared Bednar? I'm pretty comfortable because, number one, they all play and run the same system working for Jared. And as long as Jared, you know, hopefully he's not sick somewhere feeling symptoms, he's likely going to have a nice little microphone in his ear and talking from a room somewhere down to Bennett and Nolan Pratt. It's likely what's going to happen. Hell, Nathan McKinnon might be doing the same thing just so that he can give his word, you know, be that trusted player that has a little bit of a say in what's going on. So... I don't think it's going to be too big of an issue. Obviously, you want Jared there. The in-game coaching is always a big thing, but Jared might be an eye in the sky somewhere, not literally eye in the sky up in the press box, but an eye in the sky watching the game and kind of talking down to Ray Bennett like, hey, this is what I saw. This is what we should change. Um, and he's still going to be involved in some way, shape, or form. I would imagine, like I'm, I'm just making an assumption here, but I would imagine that's going to be the case. It's it's a lot like football, right? And yep. in my mind, how how awesome would it be if he uh, Zoom calls into the locker room and gives them their pump up speech from uh, from up in the press box or wherever wherever he is isolated, but does it via Zoom? I mean, how appropriate would that be? And and just as he starts to rip into one of the defensemen, like it starts <laughs> to cut up, and you just hear like bop, 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 as he's like cussing out like Eric Johnson for a turnover, like yes. it's going to be great. Welcome. Somebody to Somebody just age. goes and turns off the television. Um, well. We <laughs> all right. Enough of this guy. <laughs> um, we also heard from Joe Sackick today. Um, he gave a, a presser, first time we've heard from him in a while. So I guess, what are some of the biggest takeaways? And uh, you know, what's what's the vibe you got from Joe Sackick today? Uh, Joe's in good spirits. He's he's ready to rock. He's same old Joe. Same old. Uh, carries himself in the same manner, Doesn't didn't feel like there was more pressure on him, although he was very straightforward about the fact that things are different now uh, in the sense where the team has seen a lot of turnover. There's a lot of new guys. Uh, they lost a lot of depth. Um, one of the things that he did mention was the top line, and it's such a cliche thing to say that your top guys got to be your top guys, but now more than ever, since the Avalanche's salary structure is set up in a way where your top guys are eating up a chunk of the money and that's caused you to lose some depth guys making a couple million or three, four million as depth forwards. And that doesn't even include the fact that Nathan McKinnon's salary is going to probably double, if not almost double here in the next couple of years. Um, the top guys got to be the top guys. You got to be able to rely on Miko, Gabe, and Nate. Uh, Miko Rantanen had a hell of a season last year. He, Joe Sackick spoke highly about McKin uh, about uh, Miko Rantanen. Um called him physically stronger than he was last year, even though last year he came in strong, uh, says he's a heck of a goal scorer, is still a great playmaker, and mentioned that with the puck, this was really cool to hear him say, but with the puck, Miko Rantanen reminds him of Peter Forsberg, where he's just this physical specimen that's hard to knock off the puck, which to me says he has a low center of gravity, uh, he's really good on his skates, and like Peter, he can hold his own and do that reverse check while he's got the puck too, so... He had a lot of cool things to say about him and about Kale McCarr, obviously, becoming a $9 million defenseman at 22 years old, saying he's got another level. But that was one of my highlights, was just him talking about how the top guys got to be the top guys. Yeah, you got to like the the comments about Rantanen and the comparison to Forsberg, especially coming from a guy like Joe Sackick, who saw Peter Forsberg from an angle that none of us have ever seen, right? Obviously, I think it's a little bit era-adjusted, I, I think. We're, we're in a much different time, and Miko Rantanen isn't exactly like Peter Forsberg. I think Peter Forsberg had a little bit more grit to him, considering the the, the times. But 
Um, no, you, you got to expect big things out of Miko Rantanen this year. You know, it's kind of an up and down for him year by year since he kind of started his career. So you're, you're hoping for an upswing here and really find a knack for scoring those goals because that, that's what you need out of that top line. And Miko Rantanen showed so much promise last year when he was burying some magnificent goals. You know, I have some back backhanders that are coming to mind. I'm replaying in my head right now as I say this. So, um, yeah, he's just he's got that knack for scoring, and you'd love to see him keep putting away those one-timers with his knee down. And, and yeah, he's got to have a career here, I th- career year here, I think, because, um, like you said, the depth's a little bit thin, and you got to lean on these top guys. And I think he's ready for it, and he looks ready for it. And I, I'm excited. I think Miko Rantanen's going to have a monster year here. I think so too. And I think if Miko and Nate play, uh, I was going to say all 82, but you know, <laughs> 80 to 82 games because McKinnon's out opening night. But if these guys are both healthy and each play 75 plus games, um, they're both getting a hundred points. They're both scoring a hundred points. Nathan McKinnon's going to have 35 to 45 goals. I think Miko will have 40 to 50 goals. I think Gabe's going to be a point per game guy because he's going to be riding shotgun with these guys. And then, you know, doing the Gabe thing that he's always is great at doing and just providing that fire and energy for the line. If these guys stay healthy, they are going to be awesome together. The last time they played a full 82-game season was in 2018-19. That was a long time ago. And back then, they were carrying the team. Miko was still coming into his own, even though he led the friggin' league in scoring at Christmas. He was still coming into his own and finished in the 80s in terms of points. Um, he's a better player now. Gabe Landeskog obviously was already established then. He's... he's put it together a few more seasons of pretty good uh, point per, uh, point percentage and uh, scoring here in the last couple of years. Nathan McKinnon has grown to the point where the last two seasons, the only reason why McKinnon hadn't scored 100 points is because COVID interrupted both years. And McKinnon finished in 2018-19 with 99 points in 82 games. So both of these guys are primed for 100-point seasons. It's going to be McDavid and Dreisaitl light in terms of offensive production. Um, and I think it's going to be led by the fact that Miko Rantanen is going to score 40 maybe 45 plus goals. Hell, he had 30 and 56 games last year. At that pace, he's he's inching toward 50 rather than just 40. Yeah, I would not be surprised to see it. You know, a lot a lot like it happened with Jared Bednar, right? He gets the Avs coaching job and all of a sudden it seemed like 20 minutes pass and he's already one of the longest tenured coaches in the NHL. I kind of feel that way about that top line, the Landis Gog, McKinnon, Rantanen line. They still seem kind of new. It still seems like... Things are kind of getting figured out. Nobody has a nickname for them yet, but it, it feels like they've got to be one of the longest tenured lines who have been able to stick together and produce for the last couple of years in the NHL. Yeah, and uh, when you have a line like that that sticks together, a lot of teams have duos. So like the Maple Leafs have Marner and Matthews. The Oilers obviously have Dreisaitl and McDavid, and actually the Oilers just stole the third man uh, from Toronto's top line uh, in Zach Hyman even though Hyman played a lot with Tavares too, but they just took him and now they're probably going to stick him with Dreisaitl and McDavid or kind of split it among, you know, the other lines. But teams usually have duos, Baxter, Ovechkin, uh, Malkin, Crosby, even though they play on separate lines. The Avalanche have this trio and the only other line that kind of measures up to it in terms of just being that consistent every single season line is Pasternak, Bergeron, and Marchand in Boston. So... The fact that we're entering, what is this now, the fifth year, 18, 19, 20, and 21, this is the fifth year now with this line just says to me that they're going to be together for a long time. Miko's under contract for four more seasons. Gabe's under contract for the start of an eight-year deal. McKinnon's got two more years before he signs his extension. I don't sense he's going to go anywhere. 
they're going to be really, really good together for a long time. And it's going to start this year because, I mean, it's not going to start this year. It started four years ago. They've been excellent already, but it's just going to grow this year because not only are they all coming in healthy, aside from this little COVID hiccup, but they're entering their first full 82-game season in three years. They're hungry. They're ready to go. They're excited for real hockey where you're not playing the same seven teams. I just expect such big things from these guys. Hell, on year one of an eight-year deal, I could see Gabe Landeskog scoring 85 to 90 points for the first time. And uh, just basically putting, uh, you know, sh- shutting down all the naysayers that may think that he got his extension is now going to take a step back. So it's just, it's it's year one of, or year five of many more years of them playing together and just being one of those more consistent lines. And it's not something you see in the NHL often anymore to have three guys locked up that play together for that long. It's usually a couple forwards and a defenseman or a forward, a goalie and a D-man. Or for Tampa's case, Kucherov, Point, and Stamkos, but they don't really play together. So it's really cool that the Avalanche have that, and this line's not going anywhere for a long, long time. Yeah, and looking back at the genesis of this line when they first kind of started getting together, and we can kind of use this to transition into the opening night lineup conversation. If you remember, they would play together a couple games, and then Jared Bednar would break them up because he felt like he was kind of overloading that top line and having to spread out some guys. Remember Rantanen, McKinnon, and Draghetto? <laughs> Absolutely. That was a thing. That was a thing after the trade deadline once. Absolutely. So now, obviously, it's it's nice to see Jared Bednar in a comfortable spot that he he doesn't even have to think twice about it. He's absolutely putting that line together because he has a lot more strength in uh, the lines behind it. So let's use that to get into the to the opening night lineup. Of course, we have no Nathan McKinnon, so that top line is going to be Nazem Kadri in between Miko Rantanen and Gabe Landeskog. How do you like that look? I'm loving it. Have you uh, ever seen the movie The Longest Yard? Absolutely. Both yeah. versions, the original and the and old. The, they're both and, and the Adam great. Sandler version. Yeah. So you know the you know the part at the end when they're playing the game and Adam Sandler just bows out and just says, you know, screw this, and then Brucey comes up and goes, It's Brucey's time to shine. <laughs> That's Nazem Kadri right now. He's ready to rock. He's about to take it over like Brucey did without the butterfingers. He's gonna go <laughs> in, he's gonna kill it. He's he was already hungry to get started. Now even more so knowing that it's like, hey, you just came off an eight-game suspension. People are talking all these rumors about the Avalanche just don't trust you. Not only were those false, not only did they trust you, but congratulations. Opening night, 18,000 fans, crazy energy and atmosphere. You're going to play between Landeskog and McKinnon. Go out and score a hat trick. Like It's, it's going to be a great time for Nazem Kadri. I'm really comfortable with that line. And then the uh, guys, we, you and I have been keeping an eye on the last couple of weeks, both Alex Newhook and Sampo Ranta both making the team. We thought it would be one or the other, and uh, we got a surprise. Not, I guess it's not that much a surprise because we couldn't really draw a line between them, right? It was hard to really make a decision. So both on the opening night lineup, your thoughts on that? So when looking at one versus the other, it was kind of hard to pick one over the other. But when you when you look at Ranta and what he did compared to what we thought he would do going into training camp, like he impressed. But it's the opposite for Newhook. Going into training camp, you thought Newhook was just going to be like this for sure NHL regular like Bo Byram. Like, you know, he's ready to go. He's ready to go. But he kind of struggled at times. He was good at times. He was hot and cold. What I like about what the Avalanche did here is so them two both starting means that Maltsev is the odd man out. Now, Maltsev's in his mid-20s almost. This is a guy that isn't going to be hurt too much by missing a few games. But for Newhook, they're basically saying, look, you're a top pick. We know you're battling with some things right now in training camp. You're hot and you're cold, but we're going to help you work through it. So 
we're not giving you the roster spot, but we're going to give you a chance to prove that you've earned this roster spot. And it's basically like a mental mind fuck. Like you didn't necessarily earn it by your play, but we also know you can work out of this and you can be a stud. So it's going to go one of two ways. Either New Hook's going to you know, have a cold streak and they're going to be like, all right, go play 25 minutes in Loveland and really hone your skills and be back and ready to go because it might be just a confidence thing at this point. Or he's going to do well and he's going to excel and it's going to be like, see, we knew you could do this. Like this kid has won and has succeeded at all levels he's played. And I think the Avalanche are just basically hedging their bet on that, on the fact that he should be ready to go. Now for Mikhail Maltsev, when he's inserted into the lineup, it's just going to be business as usual for him, providing the game he plays. He's an energy player that's going to play on your fourth line, maybe your third. He's going to kill penalties. Uh, sometimes he'll play on the PP, but Newhook has just a much higher ceiling that they're hedging their bet on him working his way through whatever these struggles have been, the hot and cold inconsistencies in camp. Well, I feel like we see this every year on opening night. There's always a guy or two who a couple days, a couple weeks later, ends up in the Eagles for a long period of time. So, yeah, I think they're giving him a shot and see what you can do in real regular season hockey. One thing I really liked about rude it, though... Of you to, rude of you to talk about Connor Timmons like that. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I get one thing I really like about the Ryanta and Newhook both making it and both playing on the same line, I think that's what made it hard to decide is they played on the same line for a majority of the preseason and they played really well together. So it's like, why don't we just keep this chemistry that they obviously have together and See how it works in the regular season. I do like it. With Maltsev, I'm a little bit worried. I'm kind of getting, I know I said Nichuskin vibes last week. Now I'm starting to turn him into Kamenev vibes. If he's going to start being this odd man out and see, you know, he's going to play every once in a while and maybe even underperform because it's been a while since he's gotten a, a game or two. So that's a guy I think we need to keep an eye on and, and make sure he's getting good minutes and performing when he does get them. I forget who sat for Timmons to start in the opening night lineup a couple years ago. But that's ultimately what it reminds me of. That person that was the odd man out was just like, hey, no disrespect, but we got to give our youngster a chance. And that's what they did. Was it Barbario? I think so. Yeah, that sounds familiar. It was Barbario where like, you know, ultimately Barbario should have probably started, but they gave it to Timmons to give him a chance. He ended ended up getting sent down. They ended up going in a different direction until he came back later. Not that I'm trashing Timmons, but that's kind of the vibe that I'm getting with Maltsev where it's like, you're not going to go to Darren Helm and be like, uh, sit, we're going to play our 19 year old. This is a veteran that's going to give you, you know, good minutes and everything he does. And he has experience in killing penalties, lots of speed, et cetera. Uh, Logan O'Connor just signed a three-year deal at this point with Logan O'Connor. If you sit him for opening night, just to be like, we're giving another kid, like you're going to shoot every bit of confidence that guy has and trust. Cause he's been a trooper for the last three years in and out of the lineup. It's time for O'Connor to be a regular. He's earned it with Maltsev. He's the easy choice. I get the Kamenev thing. Um, but I'll agree with that in January or February if Meltsev's in and out of the lineup and not doing much when he's in. Right now, it just seems to me like they're giving Newhook a chance um, to prove his worth. Right now, it seems to me they're giving Newhook a chance to prove that he's better than Ranta and to stay in the lineup. And then at that point, you can sit Ranta for Maltsev or Ranta plays great and now awesome. You have two really good rookies in your lineup. Like there's nothing wrong with that, which means you have depth, which means injuries happen. COVID happens. Maltsev's going to play a ton of games anyway. Yeah, so for opening night, we'll see Newhook and Ranta on the third line, centered by Jost. In a normal, with Nathan McKinnon in the lineup, it would be JT Confer, but JT Confer will be centering the second line with Nachuskin and Burakovsky, leaving Helm, O'Connor, McDermott as the fourth line. McDermott squeezing his way in there, I guess. What's your thought on the lineup as a whole and McDermott finding his way in? 
Uh, I'm really curious if they make a call up for Motsev over the next 24 hours. But the fact that they didn't with this McKinnon case, he tested positive yesterday being Monday. Well, the result from yesterday's test, they may have gotten the result Tuesday and just didn't have a chance to get Maltsev here in time for practice. So maybe over the next 24 hours, they call up Maltsev and play him because McDermott is naturally a center or a defenseman. But Joe Sackick made it clear the last time we spoke to him when McDermott was acquired saying that he can play defense or or forward. So maybe they play McDermott at forward just for the hell of it against Chicago and then call up Maltsev for Saturday's game if McKinnon's not back by then. Or maybe they just call up Maltsev from now and play him. But I think what's really cool, what the Avalanche, what's really interesting about the what the Avs have done is they're also giving Comfort a chance to work out of his struggles from last year. And the reason why I say that is because on Monday at Family Sports with McKinnon in the lineup, when the roster was finalized, the Avalanche had Comfort playing on the third line. Like you said, with Newhook and Ranta, but Comfort was the right winger. Newhook was the centerman. On the fourth line, you had Jost as a center behind O'Connor and Helm. So instead of moving Newhook up to the second line, which you were not going to do, or throwing Jost up there just to keep the same guys at center, they moved Comfer from wing to center and Newhook from wing to center just to give Comfer a chance to be on that second line. So I thought that was really interesting because they could have easily just been like, all right, Jost is going to play with Nachushkin and Burkowski like he did at times in the playoffs last year with Kadri's suspension. But instead, they're going with Comfort, and then Jost is still going to be the center, meaning Newhook, who was supposed to start at center, is now going to be at a left wing with Ranta on the right and Jost in the middle. So they're giving Comfort every chance he can to be that $3.7 million player that we know who he could be. Um, it was a tough season for him last year. And uh, it's also proof in the pudding with McKinnon healthy that Comfort is your third line winger, Jose is your fourth line center. Yeah, it's kind of fun for the uh, abs coaching staff to have that many capable centers, right? That they can kind of play musical chairs because you've got O'Connor centering the fourth line, whereas with a fully healthy roster, he's probably back at wing with Joe's playing center on that fourth line. So you've you got a lot of guys that can do it, and it's a great luxury to have. Yeah, and I mean, in, in two months from now, if McKinnon has to miss a game for something like this, and Alex Newhook has, throw a number at the wall, eight goals and six assists for 14 points in 22 games, they might just throw him up to the second line. They can't do that right now, but at that point, well, now you have this young kid who's probably your future second line centerman at some point. Now he's going to be up there. You also have Logan O'Connor who can play center, who actually is going to be centering the fourth line, I believe, uh, with Hellman McDermott. So tons of options there. It's always great to have all those extra centermen. So the Avalanche, you know, I don't want to say they're not going to miss a beat without McKinnon, but they have enough guys to make the lines look pretty good without him as long as it's not a long-term thing which it obviously is not absolutely so let's shift our focus to the defensive group for the opening night not many surprises there kind of exactly as we anticipated but it's official jack johnson was given a contract and a spot on this team and he deserved every little bit of it just the nicest dude we talked to him uh on monday after he signed that contract and just a humble guy uh Shout out to him for obviously seeing my Michigan shirt and saying go blue. Uh, we had a fun little chat about college hockey during the press conference, which was really cool. But um, he just seems really humbled. He was very straightforward when pe- when Peter uh, Peter Bot the Athletic asked him about friend of the show, friend of the show. Yes, we've had him as a guest before, the one with Peter Bot. Uh, 
when we had when Peter asked him about you know being a depth defenseman on this team and his comfort level with being the six seven eight defenseman on this team or the number seven defenseman like what does he feel about being like that you know playing on a good team and he was straightforward like no NHL player goes into a season like yeah I want to be the thirteenth forward or seventh defenseman and no NHL player is ever going to have that mindset. Even though in reality, if this team is healthy, like the only person he might kick out of the lineup is a young Bowen Byram going through struggles or a Ryan Murray who might have a bad stretch. He's certainly not going to play for a healthy scratched Eric Johnson or Sam Gerrard or Kel McCarr or Devon Taves. But he had that mindset. But he also mentioned that like, you know, you also sometimes are forced to retire. Like if you don't get a chance, sometimes the NHL closes the door on you, but you know, the fact that the Avalanche gave him a PTO and then a contract proved otherwise. And uh, how would he feel about that? See Artem Anisimov. Yes, exactly. He was unable to earn his roster spot. He was given every chance, man. He was given every chance, but he didn't earn it, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. He just, he looked slow. He looked, he looked like he just, something was wrong with his body. Yeah. He just couldn't do it he, anymore. He, yeah, he wasn't ready to continue his NHL career, it seemed like. But uh, my favorite quote that Jack Johnson gave was um, actually there was two of them. The first one was how would he feel if he didn't get the contract? He says, I'll, I'll go home and watch my kids grow. Like I'll raise my kids and watch them grow. Like he's thankful for what he has. But the second funny story he told, he has a young daughter and um, he says his daughter was sitting in the car with his wife and uh, his wife opens up her purse and she had $3 bills in there. And, uh, she looked at her dad and was like, dad, you need to sign another NHL contract because mom only has $3. And I thought that was a really cool, a really nice, really cute story. He shared that. We all had a laugh about it, but just a nice dude. He earned the roster spot. He's not going to play big minutes, but he is going to play good minutes for the avalanche. He's going to provide veteran leadership. And he's paired with Ryan Murray on the third pair without Devon Taves. Let's not forget, Ryan Murray was a rookie with the Columbus Blue Jackets and played with Jack Johnson. They have a lot of familiarity together, and he even mentioned we were on the plane flying back from one of the preseason games. Like, isn't this crazy how, like, eight, nine years later, we're together again in Colorado on a Stanley Cup contending team? Like, everything sort of, you know, comes full circle. And and for Jack Johnson, I'm glad he got the opportunity, even if it's making league minimum. Yeah, it's not often you get a, another chance, and especially this late in your career. So you know he's going to make the best of it and just play his little bag off. And uh, I'm looking forward to see what he has to offer. I'm a little bit nervous about Ryan Murray. You know, I think he is going to be the new whipping boy like Ryan Graves, where he, you know, he's turning the puck over and everybody on Twitter starts ripping on him. But you know, I, I hope he proves me wrong. I hope he proves me wrong. I mean, someone's got to be. Who's going to be the whipping boy? Is it going to be Gerard, McCarr, Byram, Taves, or Johnson? No, every single one of those is a fan favorite in one way or another. Like, Devon Taves can have the worst game of his life, but no one's going to turn on Devon. They're never going to turn on Gerard or McCarr or Byram or Eric Johnson. Those are guys you just don't touch. Speaking so, of Devon Taves, sounds like he'll be ready to go sooner than we thought, and Kale McCarr ready to rock, so that's awesome news. So I guess a little health update on those two. Yeah, and uh, without Devon Taves, who's going to start the season on IR, which was the plan all along. By the way, he has been practicing for the last week in a red non-contact with the main club, but uh, with the main group, I should say. Gerard is going to play with Makar. Bowen Byram's going to be paired with Eric Johnson. Jack Johnson with Ryan Murray. The extra is Curtis McDervid, who is now a fourth-line right-winger because McKinnon has COVID, or potentially the extra because Maltsev gets called up. Either way, that's your lineup. Darcy Kemper's your starter. Jonas Johansson, who had a pretty good showing in that last preseason game, will be your backup because Pavel Francouz, an update after we recorded last podcast with my little update of seeing him, 
is Francis is out three to four weeks with a lower body injury. What is that lower body injury? You may ask Joe Sackick said today it was a sprained ankle. So Joe Sackick actually said we expect him back in the next couple or few weeks. So, you know, maybe sooner than three or four weeks, maybe it's more like two weeks, but that's the update on him. He will also start on IR. Interesting that it's a sprained ankle considering we watched that injury. It was just a really weird. Yeah, nothing, right, nothing really instigated that injury. So you, you hope he doesn't re-aggravate that through the year. Kind of like Devon Taves, right? I think you hear um, that he's out to start the season and you're a little bit worried. But I think it's just him rehabbing and getting to 100% because based off the way he's skating and how he looks, um, I think he, uh, he he's fe- probably feeling pretty good. So I don't think there's much to worry as far as his shoulder goes. No. Yeah, no, not at all. And he he's in good spirits in practice. He's he's screaming, he's talking to the guys, he's going through all the drills just without contact. So I don't see any issues. I know I know McKinnon is out because of COVID and the head coach isn't even gonna be there on Wednesday at Ball Arena and, and your top line defenseman's missing for a little bit and your backup goalie's missing for a couple of weeks, but it's not the worst case in the world, man. You know, we're watching Pittsburgh and Tampa Bay on TV right now, and Crosby's going to miss the first few games, and Malkin might be back in January. Like, a lot of teams are dealing with a lot worse than this. So Mitch Marner left the Maple Leafs practice on Monday injured. Ilya Mikheyev's going to be out for a long time. A, a lot of teams are facing these kinds of issues. The Avalanche are not one of them. Not as bad, I should say. Yep, and, you know, a little adversity, adversity never killed anyone. Um Of course, we are going to get into something unique next. Rather than doing our predictions from around the entire league, we're going to do our predictions in order of the Central Division. And with the Avalanche being the favorite to win at a minus 250 on DraftKings, that's a pretty surefire bet. If you want to sweeten the odds, maybe throw that into any parlay. And and I think you have a, a slam dunk there. But, you know, you got to download DraftKings first. And, of course, NFL fans... If you're hungry for a big win this week, DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the NFL, has you covered. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game, and if they do, you win $200 in free bets. That's double what it was last week. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. It's that simple. DraftKings Sportsbook customers can also get skin in the game with new same-game parlays. Combine multiple bets from the same game for a bigger payout. Man, I love parlays. The more legs you add the more money you can win. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, and best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use promo code MHS, bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game, and win $200 in free bets if they win. You win with promo code MHS this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only, restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. It's pretty crazy. The Avalanche are as sure a bet as you can find to win the Central Division. They're also the favorites to win the Stanley Cup still at plus 550 odds. They were talking about it on ESPN today on The Point, the show before uh, opening night here between Pittsburgh and Tampa. But... Um, Picking them to win the Stanley Cup is still kind of a ballsy pick. Mm-hmm. I know Elliot Friedman was talking about how he said today on his 32 thoughts, 32 thoughts now column that he's going to pick the Avalanche to win the Stanley Cup until they do it. He picked them last year. He's picking them again this year. If they don't do it, he'll probably pick them again next year. But uh, it's a, it's a bit of a pick that it's a not a sure bet because they still got to get over the second round. But winning the Central Division, man, they're going to do it with their eyes closed. I have no doubt in my mind on that. 
Absolutely. That's why I said I think it's a it's a no brainer there. Just like uh, this five dollar to two hundred dollar bet. And as you know, I was in Dallas last week for about five four days. Um, and I in Texas, it's not legal yet, so I didn't have access to my DraftKings account. And boy, was I itching! I'm so happy to be back in Colorado to be able to play Filthy, and lay degenerate. these bets. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, let's get into it. Let's talk about this central division. Obviously, you and I both have Colorado at one and Arizona at eight. I'm sure we could both agree on that, right? Yeah, absolutely. Let's let's figure out the middle of the pack, though. Let's see if we can come to an agreement on on some kind of an official, you know, hockey mountain high central division ranking prediction. Let's let's see who you got. Okay, well, I'm going to start with just the simple DraftKings odds, right? So, Number two favorite to win the Central Division is the Minnesota Wild at plus 650. However, I don't personally agree with that. I don't think they're going to be the second best team in the Central. I'm probably putting Winnipeg there. What do you feel about that? And if you remember from our conversation with Greg Wyshynski about how Winnipeg is going to be the Avalanche's best competition in that division, I absolutely agree. The Winnipeg Jets are going to be the number two team in the Central. Where do they got their odds on DraftKings? What are they at? Winnipeg is a plus 1,400 for third favorite. And that's something I noticed too. You know, I had my NHL fantasy draft last night and going through some of the players, there are so many studs in the Central Division. I I couldn't help but draft a very Central Division heavy team. So that just, you know, it it presents a little bit of worry because, yeah, this this is by far the toughest division in hockey. Yeah, the Metropolitan is right up there as well, but... I think the difference between the Central and the Metro is in the Metropolitan, you might be facing off against the, well, not you might be, but you're going to be facing off against a division in the Atlantic that has Tampa, Boston, Toronto, Florida, who are all pretty much shoe-ins to make the playoffs. So like you might only get four out of the Metro, which means two teams might miss the Rangers, the Flyers, the Pens, the Caps, Carolina. Like there's a lot of good teams in that division. Two might miss the Avalanche and the Central are going up against the Pacific. And I find it really hard to think that four teams will make it out of the Pacific. So there is six really strong teams in the Central, and one of them is going to miss because I think five make the playoffs. So it's just a matter of trying to figure out who those five are. And uh, like I was saying, and like you are in agreement, I think Winnipeg will be number two behind the Avs when all is said and done at the end of the regular season. All right, so we've got one, two, and eight. Time for number three. I think this one might present a little bit more of an argument. As I said, favored for number three is Winnipeg, but we've already got them at number two. So I'm going to let you start, and and, uh, we'll debate from there. I got the Minnesota Wild. Who do you got? I'm going to go with the Chicago Blackhawks. I just think what they've done is, uh, you know, they've obviously shored up their team and built something that's going to compete. And what I've seen in preseason, I like, I like what Seth Jones has to offer. I think he's going to be a, a point contributor more so than we've ever seen in his career. And I, I just think they're uh, offensively dangerous. So I've spoken in length about the summer that the Blackhawks have had, and they've added a ton of good pieces. Um, they've added four, but it's really six because they got Seth Jones, who is a hell of a player. I know a lot of people like to talk a lot of crap about him. By the way, Seth Jones pretty much all but confirmed that the Avalanche were looking at giving him a one-year type of, uh, you know, go with the team here when he was talking to Friedman and Merrick. They asked him, uh, was there any teams out there that were looking to get you for one year and then let you go to free agency? And he said, yeah, there was some discussions. And then when Jeff said, 
does that team rhyme with Colorado? He kind of laughed and said in the ballpark. Like it's it's we knew that Joe Sackick was looking at it. Seth Jones pretty much confirmed it that he was looking at that possibility without re-signing him. Just the one-year rental, Brendan Sod style. Mm-hmm. But he's a hell of a player. Jake McCabe is a massively underrated defensive defenseman. I think he's going to have the same type of impact for them that Devon Taves had for the Avalanche. Not in the sense where he's going to be offensively sound like Taves, but in the sense where like this guy came in and you're like, holy shit, this guy's a heck of a lot better than we thought. And then Marc-Andre Fleury, obviously just ho-hum, Vezina Trophy winning goaltender who's now suddenly between the pipes, obviously in a UFA contract year. Tyler Johnson's a heck of a depth piece. The other two for me are, number one, Jonathan Taves, who missed entirely the entire season last year and seems to be ready to go. If he can be the player that he usually is, that's a hell of a pickup or, you know, a hell of an addition, I should say. And then Kirby Doc, who played less than 20 games last year because he started the season injured, is now going to be healthy for a full year. If you remember, Kirby was drafted one spot before Bo Byram. So he's a hell of a player. Mm-hmm. Um, those six guys make the Blackhawks really good. The problem I have with Chicago, and this is going to sound silly, but it could change midseason very easily, is I don't trust their coaching. Jeremy Culleton doesn't strike me as a coach that can give this or get the most out of this team. His structures, playing defensively, whatever it might be. Like, if they still had Joel Quinville, yeah, dude, I'd shit, I'd probably put him second. I'd say they're going to challenge Winnipeg. But with Jeremy Culleton, maybe he's going to prove me wrong. But that's the one issue I have with this team is their coaching. So I guess defend the Minnesota at number two because I I, I still am not on board with three. Oh, yeah, number three. Sorry. Um, Just so you guys know, Chicago is favored to be fifth in the Central Division at plus 1,800 to win it tied with St. Louis. So I have them at two. (laughs) DraftKings has them at fifth. Um, So, yeah, defend your Minnesota. Dean has them at fifth. Uh, Let's let's start with the third player, with the third pick. Um, Minnesota's got a hell of a roster. So they got Matt Boldy coming in as a prospect. That's number one. Uh, they have, obviously, Joel Erickson X signed that long-term deal. That was a in- very underrated contract for him, an eight-year contract. He's going to be winning a lot of Selkies in his career. Kevin Fiala's back after a strong season. Uh, Ryan Hartman still does what he does best. Kirill Kaprizov signs that big contract. He is the heart and soul of that team. Zuccarello still provides offensive uh, production. Jordan Greenway is a big, massive body that can kill players. We saw what he did to, was it Johnson? <laughs> Yeah. Byron. Which he, one did he hear? Johnson. Johnson. He yeah. body slammed him. Yeah. Literally body slammed a six foot six grizzling veteran in, in Johnson. Matt Dumba stuck around after all the rumors and talks of him being the guy to go in the expansion draft. He stuck around. Uh, Galagoski's a great pickup. Kulikov is whatever. Jonas Brodin's a great player. They got Jordy Ben. They got Jared Spurgeon. John Merrill's an underrated depth pickup. The part that I have an issue with Minnesota is their goaltending uh, and Cam Talbot and Capo Kakinen. But um, a lot of teams have shaky goaltending. Carolina's got Freddie and, and uh, Antiranta. The Avalanche have two guys that are injury prone. Like a lot of teams have goalie issues. I'm not sure they- Minnesota has goalie issues per se. I think their issue is their one versus two. They've got Talbot in the one spot, I think, right now, and Kakinen in the second. I think if that's flipped, uh, I'm feeling a lot better about Minnesota's goaltending because I think Kakinen's the better goalie. And he'll prove that really quickly and he'll take over. Mm-hmm. That's the way it yep. goes, right? Indeed. So that's kind of where I am with them. Let's let's get back to that. Where do you have Mini? Do you have him fourth or fifth? 
I think I'm going to leave them at fifth. Just I, I, I mean, I like that they got rid of some dead weight in Suter and Parise, but I also think that leaves some leadership voids in the locker room, putting the whole weight on Kaprizov just on his second year. Um, you know, I think is going to be a bit much. I think he's going to be great, but I don't think he's going to be that great. So I, I think they're going to be an underwhelming team. So I've got them at fifth, um, which brings me to my fourth team at the St. Louis Blues. Oh, so you also have St. Louis at four. Mm-hmm. All right. So we got two things flipped around. So let me write down the ones that we know for sure we have the same. That obviously means you got Nashville at seven. Mm-hmm. And then we got Arizona at eight. We got Colorado at one. We got Winnipeg at two. Now here's where Dallas. Yeah. So I have Minnesota at three, Chicago at five, and you have it flipped around, correct? Yeah. I have Dallas at four. I got St. Louis at six, and you have those flipped around. Now here here is my thing with Dallas. This is a far greater team. You have Dallas at six. This is a far greater team than what they showed last year. Uh, Rupe Agreed. Ha- had a hell of a season. Tyler Sagan and, and Alex Radulov played a combined like 10 games or some crazy number like that. They have a lot of goalie depth. Miro Heiskanen obviously had a, a bit of a come to earth, come back down to earth season after the uh, explosive playoff bubble he had in Edmonton where he was over a point per game, just an out, outstanding player. He would have probably won the, the Conn Smythe if Dallas ended up winning the cup that year. But I think Dallas is going to rebound. Joe Pavelski is still doing his thing. I think Dallas is going to rebound in a big way, and we are kind of underrating just how good they are. And not only are they already a good defensive team, but they just casually added Ryan Suter. And that's someone that I probably should have talked about with the Minnesota thing. See, I'm starting to come around to not having Minnesota at third. But it's not to put Chicago there. It's to put Dallas there. Well, and that's the thing, right? With Chicago, St. Louis, Minnesota, and Dallas, those four, I mean, they're pretty comparable teams. It's going to be a dogfight between those four. What I'm not sold on with Dallas is, A, they're notorious underachievers, except for the one year in the bubble when they beat the Az, made it to the Cup. Other than that, they love to disappoint their fans. Before, before COVID paused the season, do you remember how freaking hot that team was? In the mm-hmm. 2020 season, they were the best team. They started the year 0 and 7, and then I think from like I don't know the exact date, but there was a specific date in November until the pause in March. They were the best team in the NHL. They were unbelievable. I, think, I I also you know I'm I have a bitter taste in my mouth from what how Qdobin played last season. Um, I know he got hurt for a little while, and Ottinger had to step in and take over, but um, you Ottinger just didn't see. Fine. Yeah, he looked. I mean, they have four goaltenders to choose from. So, I yeah. mean, you know, they're comfortable in that position, but I think they're still going with Kudobin. I think he looks better based off what I saw from this preseason. He looks better than he did last year, but I still think there's kind of a unknown with him. And for that, that's where I put him where I did. But again, I think it's going to be uh, neck and neck between Chicago, St. Louis, Minnesota, and Dallas. Yeah. And then let's talk St. Louis because they're the only one we haven't talked yet. Um, I like what they did bringing in Buchnevich. I like the fact that Tarasenko's still there, even though he's on their third line playing with friggin' James Neal and Robert Thomas. And uh, James Neal obviously got a PTO contract like Jack Johnson did, but he's he wants to get traded still. Tarasenko doesn't want to stay there. He's just going to be there because it's the best for his career to play some games, do well, prove that he doesn't have any issues after his injuries and surgeries, and then get traded for a better value. My problem with St. Louis is even though they got Justin Falk and even though they got Tory Krug, who I will admit is going to have a bounce back season, I got two issues with St. Louis. 
I do not in, even a little bit believe in Jordan Bennington. He's anti Niemi to me. He's a one-year Stanley Cup winner in his rookie season and then four to five average years in San Jose and then withered away and just disappeared after I think he had a stint with the Montreal Canadiens. Talk about anti Niemi. That's what Jordan Bennington is to me. Number two, the defense that won the Stanley Cup for the Blues had Alex Petrangelo, who's now walked, Joel Edmondson, who was traded, Jay Bomeister, who's retired, and Vince Dunn, who was taken by Seattle. I know they got these other guys, but like the heart and soul of that team outside of Ryan O'Reilly was their defense. And it's an entirely different group now. It's a bunch of guys that don't know each other, a bunch of guys that haven't played well together because Tory Krug didn't have a good season. Losing Vince Dunn hurts a ton. They didn't really replace him with much, losing him in the expansion draft. Um, I just can't. I, I think St. Louis is going to take a step back, and I think it's going to cost Craig Berube his job. So I, if I had to pick any of those four teams to put in sixth, it's St. Louis because even with Chicago's shaky coaching and the fact that there's a lot riding on, Dev- on not Devon, but Jonathan Taves going back to being the guy that he is, I still think they're going to be better than the Blues. So I'm willing to say that, let me negotiate with you. How about we put St. Louis at six and then we figure out the other three? I'm with it. Let's we got to agree, right? We're not yeah, ending we gotta this agree. We're not, we we're not ending this show until we agree. So now we got Minnesota, Chicago, and Dallas. Minnesota. So here's the thing. Now that we got St. Louis in six, these are the player, These are the teams that are going to be making the playoffs. Colorado, Winnipeg, Minnesota, Chicago, Dallas, and then three from the three from the Pacific, which will be Vegas, Edmonton, and uh, pick a name out of a hat between Calgary and Vancouver, maybe LA or maybe Seattle. But which team? So basically, the the last place team of these three is going to play the Avalanche in the first round. So pick your poison: Minnesota, Chicago, or Dallas. Because I assume the Avalanche are going to have a better regular season than the Vegas Golden Knights which means they'll get the second wild card team, which means they'll play the fifth place team in the central. I think of those three teams, who would you rather play? I would say Minnesota. I would say Minnesota too, just because Dallas has that, the, the, the playoff scaries. They provide mm-hmm. the little bit of a scaries in the playoff. Yep. And Chicago's got the playoff flurry. <laughs> and that's going to give you a little bit of an issue. And obviously proven winners and Kane and Taves, no more Keith and Seabrook, which is really weird. But uh, Minnesota, yeah, but, oh, man, are they really going to drop down to fifth? I can't see it. I could see I could see Dallas fifth. I could see Dallas getting fifth just because I still believe in Minnesota, and you've kind of made me come to life a little bit about Chicago because I think the <laughs> easiest thing with my issue with Chicago is the fact that I don't believe in their coaching, but that's the easiest thing to change midseason. And as we've seen many, many times in the NHL, hiring a new coach midseason could work and work quick. Like it could give you instant gratification. And I think that's what the Blackhawks do. So I'm willing to say Dallas gets fifth. I guess I have no other choice but to agree with you or else this podcast is going to last three days. I mean, if you want to get to work (laughs) tomorrow, then yeah, you got to agree with me there. Now, Minnesota and Chicago. Are you ready to... Let me sway you to the to putting Chicago third because I think we've made a, a lot of good points and, and you're starting to come around to what I'm saying that, that Chicago is going to be a dangerous team. So I'm willing to let you convince me, but I'm just going to say one thing is going to be my rebuttal. Hear me out. If Chicago is fourth, they are the number one wildcard team, which means Marc-Andre Fleury 
would go head to head with Robin Leonard. Ooh. Come on. <laughs> like, the hockey guys will write like, that one. Yeah, like like Minnesota ends up with like 16 o- overtime lost points and oh, this is bullshit. We're Chicago. We have six wins more than them, but they're better than us because of this OTL point. But because of that, Chicago's a wild card team. Had more wins than Minnesota, so you're right. They're the better team. <laughs> but Flurry gets to play Vegas and Robin Leonard. Like, how cool does that sound? And then Winnipeg, Minnesota, whoop de doo Like, whatever. I think that's a great compromise. Let's go with that. So to keep catch everyone up, what's our one through eight here? One is the Colorado Avalanche. Two, Winnipeg Jets. Three, Minnesota Wild. Four, Chicago Blackhawks. Five, Dallas Stars. All in the playoffs. Missing the, the, the mark, sixth place, St. Louis Blues, and Craig Berube is going to lose his job. Seventh place, Matt Duchesne and the Nashville Predators. Eighth place, uh, Phil Kessel, I guess he's still there. <laughs> Connor Timmons and the Arizona Coyotes. Colorado's going to play Dallas in the first round of the playoffs. Chicago's going to go to the other division and play Vegas, Winnipeg versus Minnesota. Final offer. All right, I'll take it. I'm in. I'm how much money are we putting on DraftKings and are we using your account? <laughs> no and no. Well, z- zero and no. I don't know. I'm not a big fan of futures bets. I like instant gratification. I don't like to wait. But yeah, that being said, feel free to download DraftKings. First of all, you got to get your $5 and win 200 in free bets and then take that $200 in free bets, parlay it with the Avalanche winning the Central Division and something else you feel super confident about. Sounds great to me. I think uh, there's no sure thing like the Avalanche winning the Central Division and Vegas winning the Pacific. So I bet you anything, those are still negative odds. I don't think that's going to be too high of an odds. Yeah, you parlay them together. It's better odds and free money there. Free money. So that brings us to the way we wrap up every show, especially a regular season show. We love to do the three stars of the week brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook. Star number three. We don't do this often, but we have to do a shared star here because we've talked about it on this podcast, on the last podcast, on the podcast before that. These guys are neck and neck and are just moving through their careers side by side. That's Alex Newhook and Sampo Fantoranta. Um, we are giving him our own little nickname, right? I know there's other nicknames out there for Ranta, but the Hockey Mountain High has given him Fanta Ranta because I like Fanta. Don't you want a Fanta? I love Fanta. I always like Fanta. So, yeah, shout out to those guys for making the team and uh, I guess providing us a little bit of a surprise and something to uh, keep an eye on and critique through this first couple games of the season. Bringing us to star number two, another guy who made the team. Not much of a surprise, but it would have been a surprise six months ago, and that's Jack Johnson. Like you said, just a great guy. Um, I'm excited to have him on the team and his positive attitude and positive energy, and you know he wants to win it all, so he's going to do everything in that locker room to provide what he what's asked of him and what's needed from him. So I'm excited to have Jack Johnson on board. Let's see how he does. Yeah, I'm excited as well. He's an older guy. He's a veteran. He's super humble, 34 years old. 950 games. He's 50 games away from hitting that thousand mark, which is always a great milestone for a player. Uh, He's also 38 games away from being top three Michigan Wolverine graduates to the NHL, which is a stat that only I care about in the history of anybody that's ever listened to Hockey Mountain High. But um, (laughs) (laughs) just a great dude. I'm I'm really happy for him. I'm glad to have him. Don't worry. He's not going to play 25 minutes a night. I'll make a few mistakes and you know, have a couple turnovers like every friggin' player does, including the guy that wears jersey number eight and Kale McCarr. So 
let's not trash the dude opening night if he makes a bad pass up the wall and it's an icing. And I told you he sucked. Like, we don't need it. It's it's fine. He's a depth guy. I'd rather him being a depth fill-in than Keaton Middleton or, you know, Kyle Burroughs, who's now in Vancouver. So, yeah, as long as he keeps that uh, warrior mentality, which I'm sure he will, and, and he sacrifices himself when needed, I think he's going to fit in just fine and and won't cause too many uproars in avalanche land especially on twitter that brings us to star number one we're giving it to nhl on espn because as you said we're recording right now during the opening game tampa bay versus pittsburgh and sent chills down my spine getting to hear the uh, intro and the uh, old school espn song so again we've been talking about that all summer we finally got to hear it hear it in action and espn having the nhl back is nice emily kaplan kaplan on the bench heartwarming see kind of the road she's taken these last five years. And yeah, shout out to ESPN for for finally taking over and doing great so far. Just their entire production, just everything about it. You guys are all the first star. Mark Messier, uh, Chris Chelios on the panel, the five or six different camera angles that, Jer- that not Jared Bednar, that Gary Bettman confirmed were going to be used. I'm looking at the game right now and there are some really fancy angle angles that they're using. Uh, bringing back the old school theme song is a beauty. Just everything about it. Hockey's back on ESPN, man. It's been a long time, and I'm so excited for the coverage this season with them. Yeah, Pittsburgh's second goal was scored while they were on one of those different camera angles, and at first, yeah, you're like, and it was by Brian Boyle. Yeah, yeah, and you're, uh, you know, you're. It's going to take some getting used to because at first you're kind of like, oh, is this a replay? Oh no, this is the live shot. Yeah, here. it kind of, it kind of had that replay look, mm-hmm. but it was, it was awesome. Just everything about it's been great, and it obviously is. Uh, the theme is what makes it the best. It's it's nostalgic. It's it's what we grew up watching. Yep. That being said, you're probably listening to this on Wednesday night. So that means opening night is tonight. So I hope everybody enjoys it. If you're going to the game, have fun, be safe, keep your social distance, because obviously this COVID thing that's been going around lately, I guess it's still going around. Yeah, sounds like it. Nathan McKinnon, Jared Bednar, just a couple of big names, you know. Yep, I'll be in the stand, so if you see me in the atrium, give me a, an elbow five, ask me for a magnet, I'll have some on me. Been sending them out left and right. Thanks to everybody on Twitter who's been He's requesting them. He's going to set off them. the metal detector with his box of magnets. Oh, shoot, I didn't even think of that. Is a magnet, would that set off a metal I, detector? I was, I was just kidding. But, but, but now you got <laughs> I, me second-guessing myself. But anyway. Sorry, I'll put it in my bag. <laughs> I hope you guys enjoyed the show. Thanks for hanging out with us. If you made it this far, bless your heart. Hockey's for everyone. Enjoy the season, guys. We got you. And don't forget how awesome the ESPN theme is. Da 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 da